quick question before we get into today's show. What is the appropriate hour to uh, allow your dog to start barking in the mornings in a neighborhood? I guess it would be depending on the day of the week. During work week, I would say 8, maybe even 7.30 is okay. But on the weekends, you know, you got to keep your dog from barking till like 9.30. I feel like that's wishful thinking. I don't know. I've got a couple of neighbors, I guess I could ask, because they've gone back and forth on uh, Facebook on the appropriateness of it that we've all got to witness, which is super exciting. This reminds me a little bit of that converse, that question of like, when is it appropriate to mow your lawn? You know, how early can you get started to mow your lawn? Like a concert or music, like in the backyard kind of thing. How late should your backyard hot tub party go into the night? What about just exterior like lights on your house? When is it appropriate for you to take down your Christmas lights? Of course, if they're all red, you just transition to Valentine's Day, I guess. But Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. And welcome, one and all, to episode number 261 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Chris, today's episode 261, the number is important. Yeah, 261 marks for us, Reed. This is the start of our sixth year in podcasting. Amazing. Yep, if you do the quick math, uh, 52 times 5, you get 260. And as we just mentioned, we're on episode 261. So here we go uh, for year six. It's exciting. You know, to think of it, at the beginning, we thought, we'll never get past a month. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and here we are droning on, you know, 260 <laughs> times later, 261 times later. So um, special thanks to everybody, though, that's tuned in. We, we really do appreciate the support. It's uh, It's been really amazing that we've made it to this point, and we, we certainly wouldn't still be doing it if people uh, were not listening, if we didn't get great feedback, and appreciate not only the folks listening, but the people that have joined us on the shows as guests. It's been awesome. As we get ready to start today's show, did want to give a quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can go to learn more about the previous 260 episodes, if you so choose, Chris or I, or any other topics, and uh, you can even check out the other shows on the network. So you can do that over, again, at touchpoint.health. While you're there, sign up for the TPS report. You'll notice it up in the top navigation. All that does, you give us your email address and we will give you one email a week. That's it. Just an email every Monday morning, a few articles to start your week, uh, and a couple of helpful links. I'll tell you what, let's pause for just one second so why you can go do that. And we'll be back with the first episode of Season 6. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand 
that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. So a couple of weeks ago, Reed, in our TPS report, the email that people could sign up for on our website, there was an article that jumped out at me entitled, For Doctors Drowning in Emails, One Health System's New Strategy is to Pay for Replies. Yeah, how about that? And we'll, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but we've got Dr. Brian Vardabedian on the show today, which is which is always fun. And so uh, you'll hear him talk a lot more about this uh, from a physician's perspective, but I think it sets up kind of what we're going to talk about today. And so in this particular, and again, we'll link to all the stuff in the show notes in this particular article, it references uh, UCSF, your health system out West. And what they're doing is they're experimenting on letting clinicians bill for certain medical correspondence. Medical correspondence. Use my chart to refill a prescription or something like that. That's not what we're talking about here. But if you're if you're emailing and asking a ton of questions, something that would require a physician to sit down and provide medical advice back, uh, that that's really kind of where it's coming from, right? In this article from Stat News, and we'll link to it in the show notes, it says here that since November, doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and a handful of other clinicians at UCSF have been able to bill payers for patient emails that require medical evaluation or more than a few minutes to respond. So it's not all communications. That's interesting. And they uh, they piloted it with one specialty group, but they've, they've been expanding across the system now. It's interesting, right? And I think we'll see more of that. I mean, I, you know, and again, it doesn't say this in the article specifically. And you'll hear Dr. V talk more about, you know, from his personal experience, you know, kind of what this looks like, not billing per, per se, but just, you know, correspondence with patients and my chart messages and that kind of thing. But it's almost like you, know, you can go see a physician live in person, right? You can go sit down in the office. Uh, you can do it uh, via video, you know, the telehealth virtual care kind of stuff. And now what, what they're kind of outlining here is you can see them via the written word, I guess. So it's, uh, it's interesting, but all the while, you know, you're still getting the value of talking to a clinician. So I guess broadly that, that makes sense. Yeah. One quote from this article that was interesting, Maria Byron, who is a, a primary care specialist at UCSF, she said that if it's not valued and recognized via any payment, it's very difficult for the healthcare organization to move email into a daytime activity. That was an interesting perspective there. But I think that this kind of underscores this whole concept of the patient-provider communication and how it's ever important to the way a health system and physicians, clinicians uh, engage and interact with their patients. Even Joint Commission calls this out, right? Yeah, Joint Commission, it's part of their auditing, right? They do look at the patient-provider communication, but they actually, on their website, they have a quick safety tip 
Tip number 29, by the way, that's called mm-hmm. Advancing Patient-Provider Communication and Activating Patients. In this quick tip, well, again, linked in the show notes, it says here that communication has been established as a critical focus for patient safety, especially skilled patient-provider communications, which is essential to creating a safe healthcare environment. Now, when this was originally written, I, I do believe this was about that face-to-face kind of communication, right? but it has since expanded, right? It has, and we'll continue to see that expand as you know the care uh, environment changes. And so they're talking here about it's intrinsically you know, intertwined with patient safety are patient provider communications and patient activation, so which is shown to be enhanced by you know, patient provider communication. So it's really important to have communications back and forth to get appropriate care at the right time. This is not new to those of us in in healthcare, but the Joint Commission kind of underscores the fact that this strong communication between the patient and the provider has, again, been tied to patient satisfaction, decreased emotional stress of the care encounter. I think that's important, particularly when you're in a pandemic, improved treatment adherence and compliance as well as improved health outcomes and increased overall caregiver satisfaction. And they tag on to the very end, decreased burnout. Mm. All of those factors right there kind of describe some of the biggest challenges that we're facing right now in our space. And you'll hear Dr. V even start touching on burnout and stuff like that as it relates to this. So uh, it's re- really interesting how a lot of this is starting to come together. Things are changing. And so Reed and I wanted to talk a little bit about how this patient-provider communication is ever-evolving. We found a third article that comes to us from our friends at patientengagementhit.com. Great great website. Um, We've referenced them before, a couple articles from them before. And there's an article there that's titled, Leading Patient Engagement Experience Trends for the Upcoming Year, for the Year 2022. They talk about the fact that patient engagement, and this is what we'll get into for the next couple of minutes, uh, but that'll be defined by one, consumerism and healthcare, two, health equity, and three, the need for patient communication in a polarized landscape. Which so we'll that, stay tuned for that, but um, yeah, we'll kind of go through each of these real quick. Real quick. I mean, we've talked about consumerism before, right? Organizations needing to make it easier for patients to be consumers. So that's like looking at like that overall experience. They actually cited a poll from 2021 from Cedar that indicates that a good financial experience determines patient loyalty. A good financial experience, read Mm -hmm. for more than half the patients surveyed, a bad financial experience will keep them from recommending a provider to family or friends. So consumerism, when we talk about it, they're kind of underscoring the need here for being transparent about costs and uh, making it easy to resolve any kind of questions around your finances. Well, the second thing on the list they have here is health equity and, and even health disparities. Uh, and again, we've, we've talked a little bit about this as well, but, but quickly understanding where there are clinical outcome gaps based on you know, demographics, for example. And they talk about the fact that this will help healthcare organizations then design uh, what types of quality improvements and programming is necessary to, to address or close those gaps. So leading into this year, organizations might see themselves uh, responsibility for quality reporting stratified by demographics as health equity remains a key industry priority they talk about. 
Yeah, we understand that that's a really important piece of this. But today's topic of the of our episode is really focusing on communications. So we do want to quickly turn to this patient communications in a polarized landscape conversation. The medical industry, all of us are contending with how best to deliver public health and patient provider communications in a world where right now public health communications has been misinterpreted perhaps as a softer way of saying it or it's <laughs> yeah it's become a little bit challenging right is that fair to say a little bit yeah a little bit a little bit challenging they talk in here about you know the fact that healthcare organizations and and they say and I, and I agree particularly in the states with a higher rate of vaccine hesitancy begin their vaccine campaigns. They developed, you know, workarounds to ensure that their messaging was palatable, right, and and persuasive. And so there's some interesting quotes in here about, uh, you know, folks having to, you know, soften their messaging, especially as they, you know, the, some of the shots and things like that were approved for kids 12 and older. Polarized is the right word, but, you know, what do we do, you know, in, in kind of this new environment? And it's more than just softening the message, right? It's also the frequency of messaging, too. In the D.C. area, there's a group called the Capital Area Pediatrics. And they're being very careful and not overloading because you can over-communicate, too. Particularly, their executive director calls out, since we're going into the electronic age, you can run the risk of just like over-communicating and sometimes miscommunicating unintentionally through these mm. digital channels. And particularly when you're talking about things like the pandemic and vaccines and things like that, people have become very, very sensitive to that. The article actually calls it out as like a tightrope walk that healthcare professionals have to take about giving their patients the best information they can to make the best healthcare decision, but communicating with them in the appropriate way. Which is probably true about a lot of things that we're doing. This is probably just the most visible maybe right now. Uh, but they talk about the fact that, you know, effective public health messaging and actually having trusted community health leaders involvement, you know, is really what's going to be needed as this thing is still pretty polarizing, right? So yeah. we have to be thoughtful about the messaging and have people that they trust deliver that messaging, basically. Well, why don't we do this, Reed? Why don't we, after the break, why don't we come back and talk about ways that we can kind of rethink how we're communicating, and healthcare engagement in general. And we'll do that right after this break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So now we, uh, we are in 2022. Uh, we're, we're actually a 12th of the way through 2022, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is already hard to believe. But in any case, now what? You know, what, what do we do at this point as it relates to uh, communications? There's an article that we found on MedCity News, Read that's titled How to Rethink Healthcare Engagement in 2022. And it talks a lot about communication. They're saying now we're in this world, I don't know if we could call it a post-pandemic world or whatever we're calling it now, where we're at, where 
providers and insurers have to increasingly personalize their communications and reduce complexity to empower their patients, aka their consumers, to choose better health decisions and drive better care outcomes. They're talking here about the fact that, you know, it really doesn't matter what type of health care organization you are, but I mean, certainly on the provider side, but they even reference insurers, pharmaceutical, drug companies, med device, you know, et cetera, that staying a step ahead is key to strengthening engagement, providing, you know, exceptional consumer experience. I I mean, that's not crazy, right? I mean, it's like, oh, well, yeah, sure. You know, you stay, stay a step ahead and you know, you're in a better chance to, you know, meet people's expectations. That's not to say that patient loyalty, you know, has caused any alarm here. In fact, they reference PEGA's 2021 healthcare engagement survey, which shows that patient loyalty increased throughout the pandemic. And that's across, you know, this survey was done across 2,000 patients and 200 senior healthcare executives from health plans, health systems, pharma companies. And really, the survey points to a dramatic narrowing, but an increasingly alarming disparity between how patients see engagement and how the industry is actually delivering it. Yeah, they call out here that that patients are much more tolerant during the pandemic uh, as challenges in healthcare persist. We hear a lot about patients are maybe not 100% pleased with how they engage with the healthcare system, but I also have found it's not like their behaviors are shifting that dramatically or their expectations have dramatically increased. In fact, they say here in the study, the number of patients who said they would switch doctors due to poor communication and engagement dropped 23% over the pandemic. Huh. Dropped 23%. Despite these issues that are here in our industry around communications and and engagement, that, that's interesting to me that they would that it would drop. I guess you know it's like we're getting a, a pass for now, but I, I do think their next point here, like here's the opportunity. You know, at some point that's not going to be the case anymore. I, I'm guessing positive communications, they say, go a long way in retaining patients, make them feel valued, etc. You know, people want even more communications. I mean, that's what we're talking about today. If people's willingness to be a little more amenable to the current state of affairs, uh, we should seize that opportunity to delight, if you will. Absolutely. I think we should too. The other thing, though, that, that really is coming out from this study, this aforementioned survey, there's also opportunities around how we communicate. And I'm not talking about like, emails versus what, you know, this or that. I'm talking about the fact that just over 54% of consumers say they're happy with the level of communications from their doctor's office. But almost half of the consumers say they receive conflicting information. And sometimes that information is confusing. It's not just the opportunity of communicating more. Again, you know, back to that, we don't want to inundate them with messages. We have to provide them the relevancy of that message as well, regardless of what medium we're using it to communicate with them. So half or not. So again, I think there is a huge opportunity and and kind of this next point that they call out, accelerate the adoption of advanced technologies. They talk about the fact that 53% of consumers say that they're open to giving insurers access to their real-time health data, which is a 13% increase from last year. In addition, about half are comfortable with their doctors using AI to make better care decisions. As a result, most healthcare organizations have innovation as a critical 
strategy component. If half are happy, half are not happy, half are willing to do this, half are not willing to do that. (laughs) It's, there's a big opportunity here to seize, I I think. And, and again, go back and create a pathway uh, in this case, communications, that is something that works for your consumers. And before we go to the really interesting interview you had with Dr. V, where he talks about some of the the ways that he's looking at it and kind of looking at the whole communication between the provider and the and the patient and ways to improve that from his perspective, because there's another article that came through from UCSF of all places, the people that we're referring to, they posted yeah. as part of their research, they did an analysis of hundreds of thousands of secure email messages apparently the ones they're paying for, between doctors and patients that find that most doctors use language that is too complex for their patients to understand. They're using AI to determine here that even though we've been advising people to use simple language when explaining things to their patients, only 40% of patients with low health literacy were matched with doctors that use simple language to communicate with them. It underscores kind of this other point that they have here around the effective use of electronic communications. So it said the study found that doctors who performed best in the survey, of how well patients understood their care, uh, tended to tailor their electronic messages to their patient's level. It didn't really matter where on the spectrum they, they fell on health literacy. The focus now is, as we're kind of going into understanding patient-provider communication is important, and understanding that you know there is this kind of drive towards using more of these digital mediums, one of the clinical researchers of this study indicates that unlike a clinical encounter where a doctor can use visual clues or ver- verbal feedback from a patient to verify understanding, in an email exchange... It's hard to get that validation from your patient because you don't know. The findings of this study suggest that patients benefit when doctors try to tailor their email messages to match the level of the language that the patient uses. As we become more and more focused on patient-provider communication for this opportunity that we outlined here, that it becomes ever more critical for us to, as marketing professionals, as care providers, as even doctors, as Dr. V will talk about, it becomes ever more important for us to improve the way we communicate. I think we'll come back right after this break and hear from him, but I think it's, it's critical. You know, we can read all the articles. We can um, kind of pontificate on what we think might be the sense of, of, you know, it might be the case of what's going on, but it's, it's really great to hear from a, you know, a practicing physician, obviously, Somebody that, that communicates so effectively, you know, folks I'm sure listening, I mean, you know him and follow him on Twitter, maybe read his blog, things like that. But take a quick break and we'll be back and, and hear from Dr. V. And I, I think you'll really enjoy it. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, welcome to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. Joined today for 
I don't know how many times you've been on, honestly, but you've probably been on a handful of times. But Dr. Brian Vardabedian, author, physician, blogger, tweeter, podcaster, extraordinaire. Welcome back to the show. Chris and I have been talking kind of throughout the balance of the show a lot about communications and what, what patients expect. And we'll reference an article that, that was on stat here recently as, as kind of we go through this. But for those that don't know, you're a practicing pediatric GI doc down in Houston and have been obviously for, for a number of years. You practice pre-internet or kind of on the front end of the internet and then you know through today, early adopter of technology, et cetera, et cetera. But even the last couple of years, I think it has really changed customers' expectations, consumers' expectations. What are you seeing from practically what's different now day-to-day as you're practicing medicine? Yeah, well, if we just zero in on communications, Reed, the, probably the, the elephant in the room is the number of ways that we can interface with families. You know, in the old days, if there are old-timers listening, all we had was a phone message from the nurse, and now we have access through various means, and the, the one that's really picked up the past year or so has been the MyChart message. And so people can access us 24 hours a day at any hour of the night and send us a message, and, and that gets to that question that you brought up of expectations, which I think is a huge thing because we've not really, as organizations, really defined that or sort of put boundaries around it. Me, the marketing guy, I've been beating the drum on, uh, in this case, my chart adoption. Download the app, you know, do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. And, and that's what we're wanting people to do. And I think if you zoom out, philosophically, that's probably right. You know, like, hey, let's get it more efficient. Let's communicate through this this new medium, through, through this device that's in your pocket, you know. And if you stop there, that probably sounds logical. But from an operational standpoint, or maybe not operational, but the clinical standpoint. Workflow. Yeah, clinical workflow. Clinical workflow. What What is that done? I mean, because right now, like you go in and out of rooms, you see people, you document some stuff. But now where does this come in? Yeah. So it, it's an important question because I think it sheds light on a, a concept I call technology governance, which is when we unleash a tool, when Epic says, here is this messaging feature, we are now turning it on. What did not happen or what has not happened is organizations, groups, hospitals have not said, hey, wait a minute, how are we going to use this messaging application? Instead, we just sort of unleashed it. And the patient's like, great, I can message my doc 15 times a day at 3,000 words a message. Administrators are like, okay, well, we don't know what to do with this. And the docs are getting swamped. So it's really been kind of a failure for us to sort of educate families on how to use this and for doctors to get a consensus on how should we be using this as cardiologists or pedigastros. So um, this kind of sheds a light on the idea that when we unleash new technologies, communication technologies especially, we have to educate families and, and have a consensus on how we're going to use the new technology. I'm going to say we here. I don't, I don't really know who we is, but we, we, the industry, we as hospital folks, I guess, sat in a room and said, you know what, this will be great because it will reduce unnecessary office visits or from a capacity standpoint, free up some of this scheduling, these doctors, you know, we can get more patients in that need to see the doctor because now the patient doesn't have to come in to basically get a question answered. Yeah. Again, at face value, yeah, okay, that's logical. That makes total sense. But that's not 
really what's happening, it doesn't sound like. What's happening with some docs who, who, so I'll just tell you that some docs in my group have a harder time sort of reining that in. I can tell you kind of how I've done it, but some of my docs in my group have had a hard time with that. And some, some have been really good about sort of limiting it. What is created almost is a, almost a third clinic for some doctors. You know, at the end of the day, we've got 19 my chart messages in our inbox and some of them are pretty lengthy and it's, as you said, in a value-based system, it's going to, you know, minimize uh, burden on the system and the clinic and the nursing staff. But it, at the end of the day, the question has to be answered, whether it's in an exam room by phone or through this asynchronous messaging system. No matter how it gets answered, whether it's face-to-face or by telemedicine or by asynchronous message, the question has to be answered and someone has to do it and it still takes time. And the burden of that, as you said, is not on the people in the room, but the doc on the on the downstream. Kind of liken this a little bit to, again, we've beat the drum for this for a while, just like we did virtual and telehealth and these other mediums in which you could see or receive care, see a physician, whatever. And then the pandemic happened and there was a huge inflection point, right? Like the Gartner hype cycle thing, right? It, that, was, that was the inflection point. It went through the roof. And then everybody went, oh, wait a minute. Everybody wants to do this now. Yep, yep. And, and we're, doing, we're doing telehealth calls via like Zoom and FaceTime and like all these mediums that were not built for this. How do you practically, in this case, we're talking about this messaging you know, what, what do you practically do at this point? I mean, has this become part of your talk track with patients and their families? Our group is now discussing this about how we want to put limits on this. And it, what's so interesting is there's some divergence of opinion within groups of docs. You know, I feel that this should be limited to what I call binary questions, med refills. I need my lab results. I, you know what I'm saying? Things that are fairly quick exchanges that oftentimes a nurse can do. Other docs think that this this kind of engagement and having lengthy threads and conversations with families is part of their obligation. So we're trying to kind of like get a consensus as a group as to how we should be using this messaging because not everyone agrees and, and believes the same thing. So that's kind of got to be the first thing. The docs or the groups or the institutions have to, like I said, it's a governance thing. They have to decide how this tool is going to be used. And again, I think for me, it, it's it it needs to be contained to the things that we can do kind of quickly. And so the patients can reach out to us when they need something and we get back to them real quick. And But not for the 3,000 word thing that needs to happen in an exam room. I'll tell you, I, I was on with the uh, EPICS clinician experience lead and we had a very interesting conversation about whether Epic should have taken a larger role in kind of educating the Epic user on, you know, whose responsibility is that? Is it Epic's? Would they unleash this tool or is it ours? I, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's ours because every group is different. Every specialty is different. Every community is different. And so every technology can be used in a number of ways and we have to decide how we're going to use it and use it in a way that's efficient. Is this becoming part of the dialogue, like in, in medical education? I mean, is this going to change? You know, is it going to roll that far back? Probably not. You know, I, I, I wish some of this stuff. It's like teaching docs about social media. It has a place in the curriculum in some spots, but things have become so tight with these curriculum that it hasn't quite gone that far. So we're, I'm not even sure, Reed, what I would teach them because we're trying to figure out 
these are these are things that are happening in real time. And and you're absolutely right. We we have pushed here at Texas Children's, we've we've pushed my child adoption because remember too that there are lots of great things that come with that. You know, there's the 21st century cures rule. They get their results immediately when they're completed. They can make appointments, they can cancel appointments. So it's, it's a lot more than just my chart messaging. So uh, it's great we're doing this, but there, this is just like a little wrinkle. It's not our biggest crisis, but it is leading to a huge burden for some docs who have a hard time controlling themselves with it. I liken this a little bit to the larger consumerism piece. I mean, people have preferences with how they live life. You know, I, I right now uh, am trying to find a vehicle for my wife that has a third row seat because we have children and it's crowded. I'm about to buy a vehicle and I've never spoken to the people, right? I mean, it's all via text message. That's crazy. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to go down there. I know what the vehicle is. I don't need to look at it. You you know what I mean? And so I think people get to a place where their expectation starts translating between experiences. So car buying to dealing with their doctor, booking airline travel, scheduling, you know, things like that. You're absolutely right. You faced this in social media, in marketing, and that is how quickly do you respond to someone on social media when there's a complaint or or a grievance? And we're facing the same thing with my chart messages. It gets into liability and mitigation of risk and et cetera, et cetera. And so we're trying to figure out what should be our turnaround time for my chart messages because you're absolutely right. There's this expectation. And some of the docs feed into this because they, they answer the messages within like 20 minutes. And then suddenly, when I'm covering for them, you know, the Friday after Christmas, they don't get that response. It's like they're calling the nurses and hammer calling us. And so you're right. There's that expectation. Thing. And that's part of the education, too. We have to decide, listen, we're going to you know, address these things twice a day. or Yeah. I mean, and that's where the education comes in and kind of how you're training, not just the doctors, but the families, you know, the people you're dealing with. You know, what To your point, what expectations are you setting? And I think that's really interesting. I would assume, and, and I've heard you talk about this historically, you know, this was a thing certainly uh, when doctors are like, especially you got on Twitter, right? You know, people find out you're on Twitter or people find out you have a Facebook page or, or whatever, you know, and they start sending messages and this, that, and the other. There's obviously in that medium, it was like, listen, I, this isn't appropriate. I can't, it's not compliant, right? Like I can't answer I can't do this. In, this, in this forum, but you're still this level of accessibility, I guess, the clinicians, uh, that people have to clinicians now that they just historically have not had. Yeah, and it, it's absolutely similar to that. And what's so interesting, Reed, is those families that used to reach out on Facebook and Twitter 10, 12 years ago, it doesn't happen anymore because people, to your point, they're kind of educated and they know that we can't have a health dialogue on a, on a Twitter feed. And so they are educated. They get educated uh, informally and passively. And so that same thing is happening now. Uh, we just need to, as as physicians and hospitals and communicators, need to need an internal consensus about how we're using the tool. So, you know, most people listening to this show are on the marketing communications side of the fence, uh, maybe administrative. I'm sure there's maybe some clinicians that listen, but for the vast majority of our audience that, you know, is in a marketing or communication or maybe patient experience role, what do they play in this? Like, how do they help their medical staff or, or whoever it is, you know, around their organization? What, what can they be doing? Yeah, it's an interesting question about 
what hospitals could be doing. And if we link this back to burnout with physicians, I like to think that burnout is really a failure of leadership. It's a failure of leaders to really look after and create a safe space for their people under their charge. And so what I'm seeing happening with docs is that this, the MyChart messaging feature is turned on and they're like, I just have to answer all these messages. I have no say in this. And I think that a lot of docs and groups and leaders within groups, they're not getting their hands around this to keep their doctors safe and to provide some boundaries to this. So as uh, you know, and is it an IT? It's really not an IT problem. It's a communication problem. It's clinical, but it does fit within the realm of communication. But maybe helping, and I don't know where this happens at a hospital level, but helping docs realize or groups or clinical groups realize that they can put some boundaries on this and set some limits. And if you Google my chart messages, the very top search result right now is UCSF. And they have, we can get into this in a moment with the with what they're doing, but um, they have very specific criteria about how my chart messages are to be used. And that's something that leadership, be it hospital, market, whoever, can help initiate that conversation. So it sounds to me like, you know, where this is a communication medium, a lot of the communication that may need to happen is internally, right, about about the tool, what it is, appropriate usage. And I think that may be, if I could encourage the marketing communication folks, go figure out, you know, who these champions are within the organization. You figure out best practices, things like that. It could be our role as marketing communications individuals to take those best practices and educate the other physicians on the medical staff and give people ideas and talk about who's doing what well and, and kind of being that conduit almost because we're not, you know, we're not obviously in those roles. Uh, we're not dealing with patients, you know, things like that, but we can be an aggregator, so to speak, and, and, and figure out and try to help surface what those good ideas are and help even inform our leadership teams Patients need to be educated too. So there, you know, there may be a role we're discussing. We have sort of generated, you know, this sequence of what needs to happen. You know, there's this whole continuum. What 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 can happen by a my chart message? What can happen by a phone call? What can happen by telemedicine? And what can happen? What needs in real life visit? And we as docs need to figure that out. But then that needs to be translated to the families. And I'm not sure when that happens. That could happen at the original visit. There could be collateral material. There could be on the after visit summary. It's a real it's a real communication challenge, Reed. It, it is. Yeah, I can think of all kinds of places that marketing communications can try, try to help get involved, right? It's on that internal piece. But then once some guidelines get set, it's then, yes, to your point, translating and communicating those in a, a consumer-friendly manner, if you will, whatever those channels are. And, and some of that may be social. It could be you know, this nonspecific it could be on social or other advertising type mediums, et cetera. But you, you mentioned hospital out on the West Coast and kind of what they're doing. Uh, they have kind of come up, at least for now, with what kind of this criteria and guidelines look like. Chris and I touched on it earlier in the show, but w- what are your thoughts about, you know, kind of what they're doing in, in charging for certain types of, of messaging? Right. You know, it's interesting, Reed, because we were supposed to have this recording a few days ago, and I've had the ability over a few days since we had to cancel and reschedule to think about this. And I was initially against the concept of charging for my chart messages. But when I look at what UCSF is doing, they're just charging for those messages that are extensive and require medical advice. They're not charging for people who 
you know, they want their med refilled, or they want something scheduled, or they want a quick callback or whatever. And that's, to me, that's entirely appropriate because that's how it should be used. So I can almost imagine that the copay that people might be subjected to might disincent people from abusing this form of communication. So I think there may be a role to it. And secondly, you know, we charge for advice by telemedicine or by in-person visit. But why wouldn't we do that by lengthy MyChart message? So I think there may be something to it. But, you know, the old school, I think, has a hard time charging for these alternative forms of connection. Which I get. And some of this stuff resolves itself over time, I would assume, as things become more commonplace, more efficient. You've got doctors coming into the workforce that this is all they know. You know, they're not, they're not having to change what they're doing, right? Absolutely. It's just, yep. just what they did from the beginning. And then it'll just be the next thing, right? Where we're charging for people teleporting places or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever the next thing is. Interesting times we live in. And Eric Topol, when he came and spoke to the graduating class four years ago at Baylor, someone said, what's going to be the key characteristic of a physician in you know 50 years from now? And he said, flexibility. So, Well, I think that really puts a pin on it right there. Man, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting about this today. It's it's interesting to get a viewpoint of somebody that's you know practically doing this uh, on a daily basis and, and what those challenges are. So, uh, a lot of good takeaways, folks listening of of kind of where they can go next. But for those that are not familiar, if they'd like to uh, connect with you, uh, speaking of which, <laughs> what's a, what's a good way to do that? How can people track you down? You can go to 33charts.com. I have a blog there that I post on and off to. Uh, there's a newsletter you can sign up for. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. We will uh, be sure to link to all that in the show notes. But again, thanks a lot. Appreciate you being a supporter and friend of the show and uh, enjoyed having you on. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks, Ray. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Special thanks to the one and only Dr. V. I don't know. I, this probably makes a handful of times or so. I really meant to kind of go back and count it up, but he's been on obviously a number of times. He has also a show on the network called The Exam Room. So if uh, if you're not familiar, I'd, I'd encourage you to go check out 33charts.com, you know, on Twitter, uh, the podcast, et cetera. He's just uh, he's a good guy to know and to follow and just really appreciate his his time. Yeah, it's always great to hear from him. It really is. Cool. A couple of plugs. Touchpoint.health. We mentioned it early in the show. Uh, it's the website where you can sign up for the TPS report and all that kind of fun stuff. Also on the TPS report that you get on Monday mornings are links to upcoming conferences. It'll be here before we know it, honestly. And so uh, we, we try to stick, plug those in there so you can keep those top of mind and maybe get registered as time gets closer, or maybe if you want to speak, submit, um, you know, ideas, things like that. So another great reason to sign up for the TPS report and uh, certainly appreciate all the support and, you know, rate and review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. It's been been great to see the show grow over the last five years. 
Let's do a couple of uh, recommendations, and we'll uh, we'll call it a week. All right, Reed. I'm going to recommend uh, a game that I downloaded for my iPad. I'm a classic person that I have my iPad with me when I'm watching TV, and sometimes I kind of multitask. Yeah. I like you know just trying to distract myself by playing a little game or whatever while you know maybe the news is going or something like that. Maybe to the annoyance of my wife sometimes, but nonetheless. Uh, I downloaded this app a few weeks ago, and I've had just a kick playing it. It's called Grand Mountain Adventure. And what it is, is an open world skiing game. You have multiple maps of different skiing mountains with ski lifts and different challenges. Some of the challenges may be, you know, you do a slalom race, or maybe mm-hmm. you you grind on a rail or something like that. Or you could do flips in the air and you try to score high points and that sort of thing. This game is so much fun, I'm telling you, because first of all, it's such a beautifully designed game. It's really small, very simplistic, but it's just beautiful, beautiful to, to play. You don't have to think about it that much. It's, yeah, sure, you earn points. You earn, well, actually, points to them is ski passes. And the more ski passes you earn, the more lifts open up and the more ski runs that you get access to. You can also uh, shift your skis and maybe do snowboarding if you wanted to. And it's grown to this uh, level where where you can actually, you know, you're skiing down mountains and suddenly an avalanche kicks in and you have to out-ski the avalanche, right? And little things like this. And even uh, one point I, I got into the wilderness and wild bears come out and they they start chasing you down to try to get you so you have to outrun the wild bears too it's kind of it's a lot of fun if anybody's kind of interested in sort of like just more of a it's a, a kind of a cross between a racing game and an open world adventure game but also skiing just in time for the olympics by the way i recommend the app grand mountain adventure it's free nice. to download and uh, you get the first mountain free. And then if you want to get extra mountains, I think there's a small nominal charge, which I paid for. And I got actually access to like 10 or 15 different mountains. And I'll probably be playing this game for fun for a very long time. So that's my recommendation. Very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, I'm actually going to recommend a documentary. It's not a new documentary. It's actually been out quite some time and I'd seen it before probably a couple different times but watched it this weekend with my son who's a big basketball guy and uh, it's called Hoop Dreams um, came out in 1994 and uh, it's it's really really good uh, it follows two kids from kind of inner city Chicago um, on their dreams of making it to the NBA or becoming professional basketball players and so it is it actually follows five years of filming. Wow. So it follows them over the course of their entire high school career. And so anyway, I won't spoil any of it, but it's, um, if you haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's been rated a number of times on all the, all the lists, you know, on documentaries you should see and all that kind of stuff. It's always on there. It's just really, really well done. It's won a bunch of awards, you know, and all that kind of, all that kind of cool stuff. But anyway, it's just, it's really good. Anybody that's a basketball fan or just likes documentaries, um, you know, be sure to check it out. But yeah, it's from 1994. So there's a lot of Michael Jordan references and, and things like that, as you might imagine. But it's, uh, it's really good. Where's it streaming at again? We watched it on HBO Max, but I believe it's on a couple of the other streaming services as well. But you can find it in a number of places. I'm going to have to check that out. I know that my wife will enjoy it, and I'll I'll probably watch it with her. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's really good. You'll enjoy it. All right. Well, uh, another great episode, the first of season six. (laughs) 
<laughs> Got a few more, a few more left on season six. Ours are our seasons are a little bit longer than uh, maybe your average TV show, but no, we, we certainly appreciate the support and uh, it means a lot. Uh, thanks for reaching out and, and letting us know that you enjoyed episodes or that you listened to went back and listened to an old one. You know things like that. We always enjoy hearing about. Speaking of reaching out, you can find us Twitter, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to do that. Again, touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe. Certainly appreciate it. Tell a friend. That's the best way that you can help us out. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.